we're not out for world domination. I'm not out for market dominance either. I, I don't need to sell Basecamp to 40 million businesses or even 5 million or even a million businesses. You know, we, can, we, we have built a wonderfully profitable, wonderful business, been around for 16 years, um, selling to more than enough. And we certainly always want to sell to more. And there are plenty more that we haven't sold to yet that would be perfect fits for our, for our product. Um, but we don't need to find a million, two million businesses that 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 in our, are in our market. If we find a few hundred thousand, we can we're we're in great position. So that's kind of our feeling is that if you're the audience and you're the customer and you would be someone who would have bought this anyway, then you can make yourself happy and build something for yourself, but and also be building for others. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Louder Than Words, where I have the distinct pleasure to hang out with some of the most brilliant people in business, uh, writing, uh, any sort of creative field, to share with us sort of their experience and uh, their backstories. And um, it's a lot of fun. So my name's John Benini. I had growth at an email software company called Litmus, and I also moonlight as a copywriter. Today, though, uh, I have the pleasure of hanging with Jason Freed, uh, who's the founder of Basecamp. Uh, many of you probably know that, probably use that uh, as a project management tool at the company uh, that you work for. But he's also the best-selling author, uh, co-author of Rework and Remote. Great books on changes in the way that kind of we do business and the way we pretty much just work in general. Um, so Jason, super pumped to have you here. Thanks so much for coming on Lot Other Than Words. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So uh, I just mentioned Rework. Um, so I want to kind of just jump into this really quick, but the thing, uh, I, I've been actually rereading it recently. Um, and the thing that kind of struck me about it was how the points that you make in this book are more relevant today than when it was published, uh, what, 2010, I believe. So what are your thoughts on sort of the evolution of the ideas in that book that might've seemed a little crazy at the time, but more widely accepted? What What are your thoughts on that evolution? Well, it's funny because I actually think that um, fundamentally, Rework is an extremely mainstream book. Um, but in the tech industry, it's extremely controversial. So I, th- I think our industry is, is sort of perverted to, to begin with. A lot, of, a lot of small businesses, most small businesses, most businesses around the world are small. And most of them run within their means. And um, they keep things as, as manageable as possible, and they just run themselves a nice business that, that makes them a living and makes their employees a living, and people aren't looking to be billionaires and trying to sell the companies for huge valuations. Just flat-out, basic, simple, fundamental economic business. Make more money than you spend. Don't hire more people than you can afford. You know, don't, don't go crazy and just aim for growth, growth, growth at all sake, but instead make sure you know what you're doing and you can wrap your hands around it and, and wrap your head around it still. So it's the, the idea is, and it, what we hear from people who've read the book, and a lot of those people are saying, thank you. Um, I already run my business this way. I didn't learn anything new in the book, but what I realized was that I'm not crazy. That Val- you know, validates the idea. Yeah. yeah, all my friends are telling me I'm crazy because I'm not doing this <laughs> or I'm not doing that. But really, it's great to hear that other businesses work this way. So, I mean, we heard from a lot of people who learned a lot too, but a lot of people were like, this, is, this, this, this describes how I run my business. And that was great for us to hear. 
and also great for them to hear someone else write a book about how they do it because everyone says you're crazy to do it this way, and we just don't think that's true. But you were, you guys were, uh, or still are, the living embodiment of of these, uh, you know, of these methods, uh, if you could call them that, because you know, Basecamp was sort of built behind this model. So you, you know, you proved that this can work. So just to back things up a little bit, can you tell us like the backstory about how Basecamp came to be out of Thirty Seven Signals and, and sort of that whole backstory? Yeah, of course. So. 37 Signals launched, or we, we started the company in 1999. We were a web design company. People hired us to do website redesigns for them. And um, we were doing well, kept doing well, started getting pretty busy, and needed a better way to manage uh, those projects and that process and sharing stuff with clients and getting their feedback on the record and all the stuff that you kind of need to start doing when you're working with clients. And when, you're, when you start to hire some people and start to you know, have a team, um, when you're one or two or three people, you can hold a lot of stuff in your head. When you're four or five, you, you just you got to get it out of your head and get it into something. Um, <clears throat> so we built this thing internally to use for that purpose. And we built this tool in about four months. We started using it with our clients, started using it to run our own projects. And, and people were saying, what is this thing? And we're like, it's just this thing we made. It's just a thing. And um, before you know it, people are like, well, we want to use it too. And so the light bulb kind of goes on over your head and you go, hmm, maybe we have a product here. And so we spent some more time and tightened it up and cleaned it up and turned it into a product and released Basecamp in 2004 on February 4th, which happened to be the same day that Facebook launched, which is interesting. We both <laughs> launched at the same time. Um, or it was the 4th or the 5th, something like that, but basically right there. Anyway, so we launched that and um, we didn't know what was going to happen. We guessed. We picked some numbers and put them on there and guessed. And it turned out that um, in about a year, we were, it was very clear that we had a big success in our hands. And so we stopped doing client work and started focusing exclusively on doing software development. And that's sort of where we've been. And we just launched version three of Basecamp, which is the third major complete redesign, rewrite. Um, we try and do one every four years or so and reinvent the product. We just launched that a few months ago. So um, it's been a long time since we've been doing this, but we're always constantly trying to refresh it and make it current and, and bring new ideas to the table. I love how you said in reference to, you know, sort of the aspirations that you guys had that, you know, you guessed, which, you know, you're not a big business plan kind of guy, right? I mean, that's, that's sort of, you know, one of the, the central themes in rework is business plans are just like guessing, right? So you guys didn't have like a business plan mapped out and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, we, we've never had a business plan really in a, in a formal sense. We have a sense of where we were going and where we're heading and where we want to be, but um, enough, you know, you just don't really know what's going to happen. So I think if you put, if you put the effort to put things down in words on paper, you can sometimes get stuck with those things. Um, like we put all this time into it and we, this is where we're going and then either going to break it, you're either going to follow it or you're going to break it. Most likely you're going to break it. So what's the point of writing it down in the first place is kind of how we think about it. So we're, we're sort of always trying to iterate and evolve as we go and, and see where things, see where things lead. So um, that scratch your own itch mentality, you know, that, you know, you kind of created this product that, you know, you guys just needed to do your jobs day to day. Um, it sort of like contradicts, right, that edict now that everybody's like, make things people want, make things for the customers, talk to your customers. But you got like Basecamp was formed in a way that was sort of the exact opposite. So um, how did, 
Like, how does that sort of thing work? Because I think that 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 edict that make things that other people want sort of discourages some people from like, you know, I have this really great idea, but I don't know if other people want it. I just know that I want it or I would use it. And maybe that discourages some people from fully pursuing them. So why did that, why does that work? I, I, I guess is what I'm asking. I think um, what you want to try and do is align those two things together. So we, we are the number one customer of Basecamp and that we have to build what we need because um, since we use the product every day more than anybody else in the world. So for us, Basecamp has to work really well for us. Um, but we know there's a lot of companies like us. So now we have 50 people, but for the most of our lifetime, we've been in you know, 10, 20 people, small companies. This is our, these, these are our people. We love small businesses. I, I love small companies. Um, I think you guys are about 50-some-odd people too, right? So um, – you know, it's it's like this is sort of our 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 interest, our our area, and um, we know that if we need what we need, um, there's likely a lot of other people out there just like us who need it too. And you know, our our thing is that we're not out for world domination. I'm not out for market dominance either. I, I don't need to sell Basecamp to 40 million businesses, or even five million, or even a million businesses. You know, we can we we have built a wonderfully profitable, wonderful business, been around for 16 years. Um, selling to more than enough. And we certainly always want to sell to more. And there are plenty more that we haven't sold to yet that would be perfect fits for our, for our product. Um, but we don't need to find a million, two million businesses that, that, that in our, are in our market. If we find a few hundred thousand, we can, we're, we're in great position. So that's kind of our feeling is that if you're the audience and you're the customer and you'd be someone who would have bought this anyway, then you can make yourself happy and build something for yourself by, and also be building for others. Um, one of the challenges we do have and we're trying to think about how to deal with this right now is that Basecamp has become so, so popular with so many different kinds of, kinds of businesses and different kinds of industries that we, we're starting to lose sight. I feel like we've lost sight in some sense of who our ideal customer is because now we're pulled in so many different directions by so many different types of customers that it's very easy to forget our core audience. Um, and, and so you can kind of then you start to build things for other people that you don't use. And when you build things for people that you don't use and, and you don't use those features yourself, you tend not to do as good of a job on them and you tend not to be able to judge the quality of them as well. And we need to be careful that we don't go down that road. We've gone down that road in the past. And we always, you always go down a little bit. You still want to make customers happy, but you want to make sure that you're not trying to build things that you don't understand. That, to me, is the biggest thing. And I don't think like talking to 10 customers, for example – will ever, or 20 or even 50, will ever give you the same level of understanding that you have when you know the problem in your heart because it's your problem too. Yeah, it, so, always, it always amazes me too because I have friends that work at software companies that don't use their own software for some of the things that their software helps solve. And that always blows my mind. Like if it's not good enough for you guys to use and you're selling it to customers, um, but, but like you said, you also don't have a very good lens for judging the quality of the product or how to improve it or how to position it. Yeah, you end up um you end up judging quality sort of by proxy or through something else and then you have to spend a lot of effort on sort of market research and and you know and that sort of stuff and then you end up hearing feedback filtered through other lenses and through other you know maybe you're hearing feedback through four different layers of people referring feedback to you and then you're playing the game of telephone where you you know, one person says say something, something in someone's ear, and then it goes around the room, and by the time it gets back to you, it's something completely different than what was said originally. So there's just there's lossiness all along the way when you're trying to 
sort of infer how someone feels about something compared to how you feel about it and how you know it. Completely agree. And I, I want to get more into some of that, uh, you know, growth and, and sort of where Basecamp goes from here stuff in a bit. But back to, you know, when you guys, you know, f- sort of first launched this, um, you know, there wasn't like a traditional business plan, but also like, was there like a big ad budget or like this extensive go to market strategy? Um, and if not, like, how did you guys go about gaining traction? Um, there was no strategy other than, um, uh, let's put this, let's put this thing out there and see what happens because we didn't know it was 2004 software as a service was like barely even a thing. We were pretty much the poster children or child or whatever for it. We were one of the earliest of, of the earlies. So there was really not a lot of modeling around what might happen or if it'll work. And we didn't really care to be honest because we were in the soft, we were in the, the web design business. We were a consulting firm. Um, and we needed this tool anyway. So even if no one else bought it, we would have been using it ourselves. And we still, we had plenty of customers who wanted to buy our web design services. So like business was, was great. Um, it was only that it became clear that Basecamp, the software was bigger and more profitable, more lucrative than our website design that we switched, but it wasn't the plan. There was no strategy around it. It was just, let's put it out there and see what happens. I mean, we blogged about it. We talked about it. We spoke about it at conferences. We did all the basic stuff. Um, you know, back then there was no Twitter, there was really no Facebook, uh, at least in the iteration that we know today, there was no real way to get the word out other than to like speak to small audiences and cultivate an audience and get the word out that way and word spread through word of mouth. And that's how we still generate all of our business through word of mouth. We don't do any advertising, um, any keyword search stuff, nothing. It's all hundred percent through word of mouth, whether or not that's a good thing or bad thing. I don't know. I'm sure we're missing Lots of opportunities, but that's for better or worse. It's always been word of mouth and making sure the product's good enough that people are happy to talk about it. That blows my mind in, in a good way. Like, so looking back, like, what is that? Like, what could you point to as like one of the one of those levers that really contributed? Like, was it speaking gigs? Was it um, you know? Was it word of mouth? Like, what was that thing that allowed Basecamp to to sort of catch on? I think it was the fact that we were opinionated uh, and had a very distinct point of view and were not afraid of sharing it um, and weren't afraid of going against the grain and going against the industry, which we still do today and do more so or are starting to do more so again um, around chat and stuff. I mean, we have chat in Basecamp 3, but it's, chat is sort of a, a, in my opinion, a very small sliver of, of the solution. And I think people lean on it way too much. And I think there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's really bad at a lot of different things that people are trying to make it good at. But that's, you know, again, that's like pushing against the grain, which, you know, whenever you do that, whenever there's someone out there doing that, people pay attention to it. They may disagree or whatever, but people pay attention, and they listen. So I think that's something we've always been good at is just getting our word out and having a different point of view and being, being very confident in it and sharing it. Um, and that's what gets it, gets it noticed. And then other people write about it, and other people talk about it, and other people debate it, and some people love it, and some people hate it. And they invite you to speak at conferences, and you go up on stage and you say things people aren't comfortable hearing or aren't used to hearing. And you know, all that kind of stuff, I think, helps self perpetuate that. Um, but at the end of the day, the product has to be great because you can do all the talking in the world and all the marketing in the world and all the controversial whatever in the world. But if the product doesn't stand up, then, then it doesn't matter. The product has to, has to be the truth. A great product has to be the end game. Uh, so we believe Basecamp and Basecamp 3 specifically is the best version we've ever built and the, the best tool in its class flat out. Um, 
but everyone else has to believe that too. So it doesn't matter what we think, you know, we have to prove it. And, and the way to see if that's working is are more and more people signing up. Cause again, it's all word of mouth. Um, we're still getting 10, 11,000 companies a week signing up for Basecamp um, with, you know, no marketing, uh, efforts other than what we've always done, which is speaking and sharing. So you hit on something really interesting there, and I, I, I was, you know, I was going to bring this up is you know the the project management space. I guess if you want to call it that, like with some of these other um, apps, like you know Slack that, and you know before that it was, uh, you know, people were using uh, was it WhatsApp and, and and things like that. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, how does you know because it's there. There's a distinct difference between what Basecamp does and what like Slack allows you to do. But what are your thoughts on the way that sort of you know, teams are sort of adopting these, you know, big chat rooms essentially uh, to be plugged in all the time. What, what, what do you guys think of that? Um, I don't think chat is project management, first of all. Um, I also don't think chat is good at hardly anything except for there's a couple things chat's good at. Chat's really great at when you really truly need to hash something out in real time. Like you really need to get three or four people around something and talk about it in real time. It's wonderful for that and nothing beats it. It's great for sort of the social side of goofing around and, and having fun. All great for that. But it's terrible for making decisions. It's terrible for talking about something in detail. It's terrible for really giving people a chance to think through a problem. It's terrible for actually giving people a chance to make a case. Um, it's all about short, real-time responses, which is the opposite of thoughtful, um, deep discussion. In our opinion, is that... Um, Thoughtful, deep discussion is what more companies should be having. And I'd much rather work at a place where people are encouraged to take their time to consider and think things through and share in detail than feel like you're rushed to get an answer in before it scrolls off the screen and you're, you can no longer have your say because it's already been said. Or the fact that you have to feel like you have to be paying attention to something all day long because if you miss out on that conversation that's happening right now, you'll never get a chance to chime back in later. Like To me, that's an extremely toxic uncomfortable, uh, anxiety-ridden way to work. Um, and I know that chat, we've been using chat as a company longer than any company around, basically, since we, we, we kind of invented the, the space back in 2006 with Campfire. And all sort of modern chat tools are a derivation of that. And, and Campfire was a derivation of IRC. So there's like, this isn't a new, a new thing. Um, but uh, we've seen a lot of we've had a lot of experience working in chat versus working in more long form formats. And chat is wonderful again for the real time stuff when it really needs to be real time. But very 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 few things need to be discussed right now, and they certainly don't need to be discussed sh- in, in short sort of short lines. Um, so while I think it's a it's a it's a it's it's sort of a um, comfortable sort of fast familiar way to work in some ways. I don't think it leads to great decisions or discussions. I think a lot of things end up devolving in chat rooms. Um, so it's, it's not our preferred way to work. We, we do use it occasionally in Basecamp 3, but um, whenever we have something we really care about, we really want to talk about, really want to talk through, really want to consider and think through, um, it's always in more of a long-form format inside Basecamp where someone can post a message a long message, detailed, illustrated, great message, well-written, and then people can respond in comments over time without the pressure of feeling like they need to like, dive in right now or they won't have their say. So it's a very distinctly different way of working, and it's less popular at the moment um, because chat has sort of taken off in, in a lot of ways. Um, 
But I think that what you're seeing, starting to see, and we're starting to hear it because we have a lot of customers who are coming our way from after trying to use chat for this stuff, is that there's an enormous amount of fatigue that begins to set in, uh, a lot of anxiety, fear of missing out, these sorts of things, um, uh, sort of knee-jerk reactions and, 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 and feedback coming through in ways that people aren't comfortable with because the medium sort of suggests quick knee-jerk responses. responses. So um, companies can choose to work however they want, but it's not the way we'd like to work. And a lot of our customers don't want to work that way either. And that expectation, too, to be available all the time is very real. Uh, you know, it's very, and I feel like the bigger the team, the, the worse that problem is. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and, and, you know, granted, there, there are ways to work around that, right? So it's, um, it's, it's that, but, but tool, just, just like any, any tool, there's, there's certain affordances. So like a hammer has a handle and it has a, it has a hammer thing or whatever you call the head of the hammer at the end. And you like, you swing it cause that's like how it's designed to work. You can use it in other ways, but it's designed to work that way. And people are going to follow that pattern. Chat apps that are primary, that encourage you to have chat open all day long. Um, and also like in the side of your window all day long. Um, you could say that, well, you're using them wrong or you should close them or, you know, you don't need to chime in all the time or you don't need to pay attention all the time. But the expectation is, is that you will or that you should, because that's how the tool is designed. Um, if, if all the discussions in the company are happening in chat and you're not, you don't have the chat app open, then naturally you're going to feel like you're missing out on conversations, which is going to make you open the app and keep it open all day long, which is going to make you pay attention to it all day long. And it's going to be sucking your attention away all day long while you're supposed to be doing other things. So you, while you can say, well, put it away and don't look at it, if the expectation of the company is that you're available all the time to chime in on anything whenever someone else wants to talk about it, then you know, you're going to leave it open and it's going to cause a lot of anxiety. And I just don't feel like that's a healthy way to work. I, 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 don't, I don't like working that way. I don't feel like the best work comes out that way. I feel like you can get a lot of expedient work done, but I don't feel like it's really good, thick, thorough work in that way. So anyway, um, that's sort of our take sure. on it. It's definitely a valuable piece, absolutely a valuable piece. But as the primary method of communication inside of an organization, I, think it's, I don't think it's the right method. For sure, um, and and sort of to dovetail off that a bit, and and um, you know to talk more about like Basecamp's Basecamp's growth, like in rework, you had said you know ramping up doesn't have to be your goal, right? That's sort of like the Silicon Valley culture, like just like you were saying earlier, throw money at everything that you don't have, hire irresponsibly. You know, people may have read that in 2010 when Rework was published and said, well, let's see where these Basecamp guys are in five years. They'll succumb to the pressures of Silicon Valley type culture. Well, here you are, you know, it's 2016 and, and Basecamp is massively successful and you guys still have a relatively low headcount, right? And you're still not doing yeah, about 50 ad- people. advertising and, and, you know, like you said, you, you guys don't do any of that. So, you know, with a relatively low headcount, like you guys have still stayed true to like your, you know, the, your sort of company values that you had way back then. So how have you guys been able to make that work with such a, you know, with a relatively small team? Part of it is the way we work, which is sort of what I was just talking about. Um, we have a very distinct and original way of working, um, which is uh, not rushing people, which is um, letting people think through things in detail, which is, you know, figuring out how not to waste time on things that don't matter, figuring out how not to discuss stuff all day long that should be discussed in five minutes. Like, so, sort of just very different approach to, to working is a big part of it. But I think. The, the other thing is, is just to, to know where your values are and what your principles are. And um, 
you know, we've been approached, um, I'm sure like, like Litmus and other companies sort of our size that are doing well have been approached by many, many, many investors. And we've just chosen not to go down that road. Um, it's just not the road we want to go down. Uh, so we, you know, we, we, we know who we are, we know what we believe in. And so we follow that and, um, we just keep doing business our own way, making what we believe to be the best product uh, of its kind, um, treating our employees well. Uh, and uh, charging money for our product and creating a profitable business, a sustainably profitable business. And, and you know, just the basics. It's just all about the basics. I think it's really easy to get carried away with a lot of things if you're paying attention to the tech, tech industry news and what everyone else is doing all the time. And, and you know, a lot of the companies that you're hearing about are actually terrible companies. So like, they're not good businesses. Um, like when you, when you follow TechCrunch or, or, or whatever and you hear about new this and new that, um, most of them aren't actually solvent. Uh, you know, so like I, I don't want to follow that. You know, people think that things are like this is the greatest new thing and this is the greatest new thing and this new app and this new tool and this new whatever. But um, if they haven't figured out how to actually run a business with it and stay in business because they make more money than they spend, then it's not particularly good. So we just tend not to follow that path and we just are, are very focused on basic economics make more than you spend build a great product treat customers well treat employees well um, keep things manageable so you don't things don't get out of your control and so you don't like lose track of what's really important um, don't hire a bunch of people you don't need and try to keep them busy on things that aren't important and squeeze out all the stuff during the day that doesn't matter and then you can get plenty of stuff done we we work 40 hours a week max here and um I feel like 40 hours a week is more than enough time to do great work if you don't spend most of those hours on things that don't matter. So I think that's really the art of it too. And I love how you guys have that sort of commitment. You and DHH have made that commitment to talking more about, you know, work-life balance, which is sort of a buzzword, but you guys like, you know, like your business model are the embodiment of it. I had um Jason Zook, who was uh, the IWearYourShirt.com oh, yeah. um, you know, guy a while back. He was on here a while back, and he called it hustle porn. And how, like, now there, there's it, hustle porn has never been more, like, of a sexier thing than right now. Like, the guys who work until midnight and the guys who are like, yeah, while everyone else is enjoying their weekend, I'm, you know, I'll have my laptop open. Well, you know, congratulations. But, um, yeah. so, so that, and you got, you know, you touch on that, like, workaholism and, and, and rework. Um, so how have you balanced life as, you know, a, a successful co-founder, CEO, best-selling author, you know, uh, sought after speaker, that, that sort of thing. How have you managed to balance things? And like, you know, you guys are working 40 hours a week max with, and avoiding all of that sort of that hustle porn lifestyle. Yeah, it's a great question. And hustle porn is such a great, it's a great term. <laughs> I had never heard that term, but it's, all it's such a great, soak, so. yeah, it's a great term for it because there's a lot of, um, I feel like entrepreneurship has become a bit of a sport. And, um, well, maybe it always has been, I suppose. But there's something about it now that it's like people are trying to wear the jerseys. And, and you know, like some people, they know they're not going to be as good as some player in the NBA. But they wear the jersey and they go to the, go play pickup game and have fun. But, like, they just know it's that. They don't think they're actually going to get anywhere with it. I feel like there's a lot of people who feel like if they – put on the, the entrepreneurship jersey and, and hustle and work their ass off and go to every networking event, whatever, then magically somehow it's gonna, they're going to be successful. I just think there's a lot of game playing and wannabe stuff going on right now. And it, it, it is weird. that what, what bugs me most about it, though, is that 
that it is uh, actually it is sort of a form of pornography in that way, and that um, it's it's sort of exaggerated and perverted that you would should that if you work twelve sixteen hours a day that that's how you're going to make it. It, 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 it that's I, I don't know where the correlation is there. I'm not so I'm not sure there is one. And I think that what the main correlation is is that you're going to end up burning yourself out and be exhausted. And you're not creative when you're exhausted. You're not nice to other people when you're exhausted. You're not a good leader when you're exhausted. You're not creative when you're exhausted. You're not nice to be around when you're exhausted. And those 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 things are true because we're all humans. You know, like you you can't really suspend what it means to be a human. Um, so. It's, to me, it's easy to avoid because I, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be exhausted all the time or tired all the time or anxious all the time. And I, I have some anxiety here and there about a variety of things. But it's, it's not like I'm, I'm not you know, going to bed at 2 in the morning, waking up at 8, and then like, quote, hustling all day. <laughs> I just, it doesn't you – know, Crushing like, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, um, it, some people are great at that. And some people love that world and that's totally fine with me. It's the, their world, but it's not the world I would choose. And I think the key is, is to keep in mind, like, what are you actually doing? Because hustling itself, like going to conferences a lot and, 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 and just getting out there and meeting, greeting and all this, like, if you don't, like, that's not, that's not, that's not what entrepreneurship is. To me, entrepreneurship is building a business and building a business means building something that's profitable, sustainable, that can survive under its own weight, um, that can survive as, as long as you provide a great service to customers and treat employees. Like it's the basics. It's, it's basic economics. That's what business is and that's what entrepreneurship is. It's not hustle and game and all that stuff. Although working hard and you know, th- there's nothing wrong with that if you're like working towards something. But if you just think that that in itself is working – that's, I think, the problem. I think that's where the pornography is. Yeah, it's not the hours you're putting in. It's 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 what's going into the hours that you're in, you know, you're on, right? So yeah, and you know, I I, I get it. Everything's like we live in a very celebrity driven culture now, and, and 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 there's a lot of people in a lot of industries and all sorts of different industries that are trying to be, you know, they're trying to emulate somebody or or, or whatever, and that's just a natural thing. Um, I just. When it comes down, when, when the when the outcome is exhaustion at some level, and being short with people and tense and whatever and anxious and stuff, it's just like I, I, I just don't want people to think that that's what business is about. Like it's just that's what bu- business is not about that at all. It does not have to be that way. You do not have to drive yourself crazy or kill yourself or gnaw your your, fing- your, your fingernails off or, or 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 just go crazy because you're working so hard forever, endless hours, hoping something's going to happen. It just doesn't have to be that way. So yeah. we're just trying to put that alternate story out there because it's it's certainly a less sexy story. It's way more sexy to talk about hustling and, and going like crazy and hopping on planes every week and going to different conferences and whatever, um, but. That's doesn't it doesn't ha- you don't have to do that to build a successful business. Agreed, and and yeah. I I, I kind of want to wrap on uh, something I know that you are uh, you know you guys are passionate about and and I am as well. Obviously, I'm biased because Litmus uh, you know sixty percent of our company works remotely, um, but remote remote working why is that important to Basecamp? Uh, something I saw recently, um, you know, a pretty well known. Uh, you know, CEO of a software company tweeted something that that kind of pissed me off. It was like, I never heard of a championship basketball team that worked remotely, and um, I was like, that's a really shitty analogy. But um, 
why is remote so important to you guys? Um, because it's not just about like working in your pajamas, right? Like you guys write about like how we need to stop commuting our life away in, in, uh, in the, in the second book that you guys, uh, guys come out with remote. So why, why is remote so important to you guys? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I, it's never been put that way, which I, I like, I like that you put it like, why is it important? Um, a couple things, uh, and by the way, it's not for every company, of course, and not for every person. So, like the the, the NBA analogy is, is kind of hilarious because, of course, like you can also can't work remotely at a restaurant. Like it's just there are certain things you need to be in person for. I think a lot of information based work, like the work you and I do, you don't have to be in person for. It's handy to be in person from time to time and stuff, but it's not required. Unlike if you're, you know, a chef or a cook at a restaurant or working the line or, or working in front of the house or whatever, like you obviously if there's people, you got to be there, right? Um, and the NBA, of course, you, you got to be there. So anyway, um, for us, there's a couple things. Number one, as an employer, um, I get my pick of the best people in the world, not just the best people within a 20-mile, 30-mile radius of whatever physical place we, we plop down as our office. Um, the world is full of wonderful, smart, excellent people of all walks of life and all places. And I'd like to have the ability to hire anybody from anywhere if I feel like they're the right fit for the company and, and we're the right fit for them versus, again, the, the geographic limitation. Um, in some cases, um, certain places have more of a, ge- a geographic advantage. Um, we're in Chicago. Uh, Chicago is not like a huge tech city. It's a bigger and bigger one, but not a huge one. Um, and so it's nice that I can hire people from wherever. If you maybe live in San Francisco, it's less attractive because there are a lot of people there. But I got to tell you, we, we, some, I'm, we don't have anyone who lives in San Francisco who works for us. Um, and we have some of the best engineers and best programmers, and some live in Canada, and some live in the middle of nowhere, and some live on a farm, and it, it doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, there's that. And then from the employee's point of view, what's great about remote is that they don't have to commute. Um, they can they can detach their life from their work. And by that, I mean, some, this all happens a lot where someone wants to change cities in their life. Like let's say they work for us for five, six years and they want to move. In many cases, that would mean they lose their job because they want to move cities. They lose their job. To me, that's just such an unfair situation. Kristen, who runs our, our customer support group, our customer support team, I would say support group. And I always think to myself, does that mean like a support group? Like, you know, some, some sort of like help group, but really, you know, customer service. Um, she, uh, she lived in Chicago and she wanted to move to Portland, Oregon. And that was awesome. She moved to Portland and she didn't lose her job and we didn't lose her. That's wonderful. We've had other employees whose, whose husbands or wives or spouses or partners had to move for their job. And then the other person who worked for us didn't have to lose their job. We've had other people who want to live in a very rural area. They, they want to live on a farm. They like just rolling fields and working out in the farm and, and being in a different place than an urban center. And that's fine. So it doesn't, your company does not deserve your life. It does not deserve to force you to live in a certain place or a certain way. I, at least I don't believe so. I think that what you do for your work should be separate from where you want to live and how you want to live and what, where, you want, yeah, where you want to live. And so we, we allow that. And that's why I think remote is really important for employees. Um, overall, to me, it's just about respect. It's about like, hey, if you can do your job from wherever you are, why wouldn't we want to work together? It seems like a perfect thing. You, you, can, be, you can be happy where you are. We can be happy where, where we're at. We can both work well together. 
that's great versus I have to be able to see you all the time in order for us to do good work together. Yeah, you're not restricted by a zip code, which right. doesn't make any sense uh, if, if, if you're the type of company that that could work for. Yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, again, like it's not for everybody. Um, and we do see each other from time to time. We have two meetups uh, a year where we bring everybody into Chicago for a week. So you know, it's only two weeks out of the year, but we see each other, each other for two weeks. We also have mini meetups where different teams and different groups and different people can get together for a few days in a city wherever they want, whenever they want, hang out. People come to Chicago office from time to time. So we do see each other. We use Skype a lot. We do a lot of video chatting when we need to to see each other's faces. Like There's plenty of opportunities to jump on a plane or load up Skype or whatever if you need to. Um, but primarily, um, people get work wherever they want to work, and they can live wherever they want to live, and that just feels like the right thing, f- in my opinion. Totally agree. Jason, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks a lot for, for coming to hang out. Where can, uh, where can people go and connect with you from here? Uh, they can get me – first of all, thank you, by the way. Um, this is really fun. Uh, they can get me uh, direct, jason at basecamp.com. Uh, you can check out Basecamp 3 at Basecamp.com. And if you haven't checked out Basecamp for a few years, Basecamp 3 is radically different. Very, very interesting and unique product. So I'd recommend people check that out. You can also hit me up on Twitter, just Jason Freed, F-R-I-E-D. So at Jason Freed. Or um, if you're into watches and cars and design stuff, I'm on Instagram, Jason.Freed. Um, and I don't know. Uh that's kind of those are the places I think, <laughs> and I can and I can vouch for Basecamp. We're we're power users at Litmus, so it's uh, it's cool. a big part of our workflow. So appreciate but, that, Jason. Thanks a lot, man. This was this was so much fun. Thanks for connecting. It was it was it was really great to have you on here finally. Um, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. And uh, be sure to tune in uh, again next time because we'll have more great guests. So long, everyone.